0: Miracy. If a coach finds themselves overextending themselves, worried about what a client thinks about them in the work, it's really a sign that you're focusing on proving worth rather than providing value.
1: Are you afraid that your coaching client isn't getting value from your coaching? Do you feel overly responsible for their progress? Well, especially newer coaches worry about this and feel nervous that their clients will leave because of it. Hey, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped more than 70,000 coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. It's all too easy to fall into the trap of valuing yourself as a coach by thinking, well, if my clients make progress, I'm a good coach. If not, I have no worth. I'm not a good coach. The result may be that you avoid the important conversation about whether your client gets value and or what needs to shift in order for the value to increase. We're going to dive into how do you handle this. And today I've invited Dallas Travers to this show. Dallas is a sales, marketing, and business coach and the founder of The Hive. She helps value-driven coaches build a business that they're truly proud of. She also hosts the podcast, Coaches on a Mission. Welcome, Dallas. Hi, Melinda. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you on as a guest and to get into today's topic. Before we dive into that, though, would you mind sharing just a little bit of your background with our listeners? Sure. I'm happy to. My first
0: business was a coaching business for actors. And I essentially taught actors entrepreneurial skills so that they could find work without needing a talent agent. And that business became so successful that other coaches started seeking me out, like tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Hey, could you show me how you did that over here? So I started mentoring other coaches On the down low, while I had this thriving coaching business serving actors, and then I think with most of us, especially those of us who are entrepreneurial, there was an evolution that occurred in my own growth and in my own priorities, and I started mentoring other coaches solely, and I closed down the service for actors. So I am on a mission to help values-driven coaches simplify what they focus on, and simplify the strategies that they implement so that they see success more swiftly, but also it's success that they can rely on. And we do that inside of the Hive.
1: I love that. That word simplify just makes my whole body melt. And I'm really glad that you're here to talk about today's topic because I was just saying before we started the show... I think this is a topic that coaches, they often don't say they have this fear, but I secretly think that this fear is plaguing more coaches. You know, my value is directly related to the client getting results, making progress, getting the outcomes, especially in this result-driven age that we're in. Yeah. And it's so easy to tie, you know, our worth to that. Like, let's just say you're a newer coach. Mm-hmm. Right. You can get very nervous about clients leaving and that they're not getting value from your coaching. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got to make money. Right. I've got to get a certain number of clients. So I'm making a certain amount of money so that I can pay my bills and be successful and kind of hit that stride. And we start worrying about and getting attached to they can't leave. So I've got to make sure they're getting value. Like, what's really happening for them in that scenario? <laughs> oh, such a good question. And
0: I think that for anyone listening, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, this isn't me, take a look at how you've priced and packaged your offer. Because oftentimes this is like a sneaky fear that we're not really aware of. But if you find that you have an offer that locks clients in for a long period of time and there's not a real reason behind it, that's a sign that this fear probably exists for you. Or if you're considering lowering your prices or offering discounts, like this fear manifests a lot of times in the way that we package our offers. So if a coach finds themselves overextending themselves, worried about what a client thinks about them in the work, it's really a sign that you're focusing on proving worth rather than providing value. And if we're focused on proving worth, we're centering ourselves, we're not centering the client. And then the thing we're afraid of happening inevitably happens because the client is not getting valued because we're too focused on worrying about what they think of us.
1: Okay, you just packed a lot right into there. Everybody should write that down because the proving worth, that's self-focused. Providing value, that's client-focused, centering on the client. And I want to talk about some more signs of Mm. how you know this is happening, the ways it's manifesting. Because I just had something happen three days ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're about to talk about this on the podcast coming up. And I had this gal and she's like, Melinda, I find that I'm doing most of the talking in the conversation because I just want to make sure if I say enough, the client will be able to pull something out that's going to be meaningful. And as soon as she heard herself say that, she's like, well, that's weird. She's like, if I'm actually listening more, then I'll know what to say. And I won't have to worry about giving her this whole fire hose approach. So Mm
0: -hmm. I thought that
1: I was like, oh, there's another way that that shows up is that the coach is talking way too much. And then another thing that I just had happen, somebody else was telling me about this, they scheduled their client calls to be an hour long. Now I could do a whole Topic on the timing of your sessions and whatnot. But this particular coach set in for an hour, but she was always running long. She's like, well, I'm just, I just want to make sure that they get the light bulbs that they need, that they have those moments. Yes. And so I was like, ooh, calls running long. So what are some other ways it manifests? Anything else come to mind for you?
0: I'm so glad you asked this. So as you were sharing that story, I jotted down a couple of other ideas. One of them was for sure, consistently running overtime. Mm-hmm. Another one is just noticing at the end of a coaching session, do you feel tired? Oh, yeah. Or do you feel energized? And I noticed this in my own coaching. You know, I've been doing this for 21 years, but in the beginning, I would end focused completely on proving worth and I would be exhausted at the end mm-hmm. of an hour because I was literally trying too hard. Resentment. Like when an email Mm. comes from a client, do you roll your eyes? Do you feel burdened when you talk about, of course, not violating privacy, but your partner asks, how did your day go? What words do you use to describe how your day went? So for me, it's really about, is my bucket filling up through this client work or is my bucket emptying? Another big one is taking copious notes. It's actually not my job to deliver to you, the client. Your homework after a session. I'm not going to break down the notes for you. We can build that into our session together, but I'm holding a container for you and it's your job to do the work. So how much homework are you giving yourself the coach after sessions as well? And then another big one is avoiding the hard conversation. I had a client once, I'll call her Angie, and I was nervous that she was not getting value because Angie would show up To a coaching session and talk the whole hour and not do her homework and show up the next week. And it would be the same conversation over and over again. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I wondered, is she getting anything out of this? But I, of course, would never ask her that question. So if you're avoiding that question, it's a sign that there's fear running the show here and you're not
1: prioritizing the client. Okay, that's fascinating. Now, the taking copious notes, you triggered something, a memory. I want to dive into this because uh, tell me if I'm fooling myself or if I'm onto something here. Sure. In the very beginning, when I started coaching, I took notes almost to every word that they wrote. Now, I couldn't read my handwriting afterwards most of the time, but I would write down, I took copious notes. That, that was me. And I realized, wait, Melinda, how can you be taking that many notes? Like, are you really present with the client? Are you really listening to the client? And I, I discovered, it was more of just a self-discovery, uh, really, that it was becoming a distraction. Yeah. But I didn't stop taking notes. I just changed the way I thought about it. And I was like, oh, I was taking notes for me because I was afraid I was going to miss something. And I was like, well, I love taking notes. That's how I process. I'm a pen to paper kind of girl. I'm like very creative. And so me moving my pen on paper is how I process, is how I listen. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to stop that, but I'm going I'm to shift the intention. And so I'm going to take notes to make sure that I just grab the nuggets, the observation, the main comment, the word or the phrases. I won't capture everything. So it's not like I stopped doing that thing, but I reframed it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It really does. You and I are twins because I, I listen better when I'm doodling. So I'm aware of that. But what you touched on here, and I just want to highlight is, what is the motivation? When you were taking copious notes, the motivation was this fear that you're going to miss something. It's a sign of over-responsibility. It's a symptom of proving worth. Is the motivation, let me do what I need to do to stay as present as possible. That's
1: client-centered. Exactly. So it doesn't mean that those things have to stop necessarily. hmm But the motivation behind them, we've got to shift that, proving your worth versus providing the value and going back to that. Yeah. What are other ways that they can shift that mindset and that limiting beliefs or this fear that might be going through them?
0: Mm, That's a good question. So I think the first one is just to have an awareness because we're all different. How do I behave when I'm not at my best, right? When I might be driven by fear, how does my fear manifest? So we have to first develop an awareness and a question I asked myself a lot when I was first breaking this pattern inside my own self was who is this for and is it really serving me? Is it really serving the other person? I'm going to do a year-long coaching package because some mentor told me that's the only way to sell coaching, right? Well, who is this for? Is that for me and my business? Is that for the client? And this can get super slippery because then it's easy to assume that we just have to give everything away and overextend ourselves. And it's actually the opposite. When we're intentional about how we show up, why we show up, why we do the things we do, when we deliver to clients, then it's easier to hold those boundaries because their values aligned and they're meaningful to us instead of just this thing we do unconsciously or this thing we do because that's what we learned when we got our certification. So that one question, who is this for, has been really, really illuminating for me.
1: I love that one. That's a question that we can take for all of our business, for all of time. We can always continuously ask that with everything we're doing and creating. Are there other questions or processes that you use that a coach could use to help avoid that over-responsibility that you were just talking about?
0: Yeah. So I think over-responsibility connects directly to a misunderstanding around what it means to be kind versus what it means to be polite. There's this wonderful book called The Power of Kindness by Piero Ferrucci. And he talks about how often, and I think this is really true for coaches because we are motivated to help people and make a difference. If I'm really being helpful, you need to feel good. Is, isn't that true? But his point is that's not true. That's being polite. And when we're polite, we avoid conflict. We avoid hard conversations. We live in our own assumptions rather than in reality. So I'd love to share a process I use often with clients when I wonder oh, are they getting value? How is this going for them? And I want to avoid making stories up about it and then falling into over-responsibility.
1: Would that be helpful? That would be fantastic, yeah.
0: Cool. So I want to give a shout out to a woman named Elsie Storm who first introduced me to this process. But it's just a quick evaluation that I recommend doing with clients whether things are going great or not so great. I like doing it every, mm, depending on how frequently we meet, but every quarter. So the first question is inviting the client on a scale of one to 10 to rate how much value they're getting out of coaching. So a 10 is a ton of value. A one is no value at all. The second question to invite them to answer is how much effort, you can substitute whatever appropriate word might be there. It might be effort or intention or work. How much effort are you putting in to coaching? And what I find is those numbers usually almost always match or they're within one or two points. So let's pretend I ask you the question and your answer for how much value are you getting is an eight, right? And then if I ask you, well, how much focus are you putting into this? And you tell me a seven, then we get to have a very constructive conversation about what would it look like to move your effort up to an eight or a nine? What would have to change in order to increase that number? And then how would that increase affect the value that you get? So now we're having a very structured conversation about how to serve the client, but it's really their responsibility to dictate what that looks like, as well as show up in the way they need to in order to receive more value.
1: I love that. I also love that you're doing it quarterly or depending on the package, frequently and within that, you're doing it multiple times. Yeah. Multiple touch points with the client. And you're doing that so that. They're able to tie the value to their involvement, to coaching, results, their involvement. They're like, oh, right, there is a direct correlation here. And then that beautiful question, what would have to change to move your effort up to a 10? So they're really taking responsibility for their own journey. And as the coach, you're creating that container for them to take that responsibility, which means you take it off your shoulders. Right. And which doesn't mean that sometimes the
0: change isn't back on my shoulders. I remember once having a conversation with a client and our sessions were 45 minutes long. And what she realized was she wanted to meet for half an hour. (laughs) Okay. I can make that accommodation, right? That's something I can definitely do for you. She also really felt like what she wanted to do, and she just needed explicit permission, even though it was implied. She needed a check-in email on the weeks that we didn't meet. So I was like, yes, I had to also show up and meet her. But the actions came from her, which gives her more ownership. I love that. You know, I gave that example of the client who I called Angie. When we had this conversation, how much value are you getting? Her rating was a 10. And I was gobsmacked (laughs) because I really thought she's not getting anything out of this. She's not doing anything. Her effort was a two and she wanted to change nothing. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it just helped me reframe, oh, right. My idea about what coaching is supposed to look like in order for it to be valuable is actually Mm. not her idea. So then I got to decide, is this a client that I feel good serving in this way? Because that's also up to me. But it helped me just focus again on her because I was assuming
1: her standards were the same as mine and they just weren't. Now, when you said that question, what would have to change mm-hmm. to move your effort up to a ten? Now, I took that phrase. I've actually circled it on my notes, and I'm going through that list of the the signs that we yeah. had listed about how we know this is happening, how it's manifesting. And I'm just going down that list. It's like the calls are running long. You're talking too much in the hopes that they get something. Your pricing and packages, your offers—they're low ball or whatever. I think you could ask that same question. What would have to change for the calls to, you know, just the opposite, to run on time, for the client to talk more, for the coach to go through that exercise? Have you ever done that exercise? I'm
0: evaluating and contemplating often, but I've never taken that template for the client conversation and had a conversation with myself. What a great idea.
1: That could be really cool. If you're listening in and we were going through, I don't know, there's probably seven or eight things that we listed. And you're like, check, that's me. Check, that's me. Oh gosh, that's me too. State the opposite and then ask what would have to change. I think that would be a really fascinating inquiry to do. Now, I mentioned over-responsibility in the introduction. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's common? Do you see that in a lot of coaches, especially newer coaches?
0: It could be the number one obstacle I see newer coaches face when they move from Where am I going to find a client to, holy cow, I have four clients and this is amazing and I want more. So they're just in that traction phase. Over-responsibility is an easy trap to fall into. And it's a sneaky one
1: too. It is a sneaky one. So when we talk about over-responsibility, I know we talked about a lot of the signs that's showing up when that fear is taking over, proving worth versus providing value. What are some of the things that coaches can do to help them remember, especially newer coaches, when they're learning this new muscle, it's about providing value, providing value, it's about providing value. What are some of those things that they can do within themselves to stay in that place so they don't slip in the fear-based, over-responsibility, proving their worth?
0: Yeah. So this might sound counterintuitive, but the easiest way to develop this muscle is to avoid taking credit when things go well, right? So if you're a client and we strategize an Instagram tool and you go out and you implement it and it works, we both want to celebrate, right? And it's easy for me to think, wow, that was a really smart idea. And I'm so happy that it's working out for Melinda and aren't I good? Mm -hmm. Well, if that rule applies when things are going well, it also has to apply when things aren't. And then we're on this worth roller coaster, right? Where my worth is determined by an outcome that I have no control over. And it also robs you of your own agency and your own ownership of the outcomes that ultimately it's you that's generating. So practice avoiding letting a client's success define you because it'll then Mm -hmm. slap you (laughs) when things Mm -hmm. don't go as well.
1: So it's not about... Uh, getting attached to any certain outcome, whether it did or didn't happen, what went well, what didn't go well, what will we do differently next time, and just staying in that momentum so there's no fixation on any one thing being present or one thing being missing. Right, right. I have a friend who's writing a book right now,
0: and the program that she is in, they don't Often the approach when you're drafting a book is to look at the weak parts in the story and how can we fix them. This approach is the opposite. It's only focusing on the parts of the story that are going well (laughs) Mm. and really developing those. And what she has found was that mindset then spills over into how she approaches the other parts of the story that need improvement. And it just puts her in a much more creative Solution oriented space.
2: And so that's an interesting
0: approach for coaching as well, right? Like emphasizing where the strengths are and prioritizing that the strengths and how we're showing up, but also the strengths of our clients.
1: Right. What else do you want to share with our listeners on this topic? Is there anything that's really standing out that you're like, oh my gosh, if I never get to talk to you again, please know this, especially to the newer coaches?
0: Yeah. A mantra I used to say to myself for a a long time before every coaching session with a client was I release my need to do a good job. Mm. So just really giving myself permission to show up and be present to the client uh, was a, g- a game changer for me? Other than the rating scale conversation, it's probably mm-hmm. the second most valuable tool I use to help me avoid over responsibility and to help me avoid just falling into proving worth rather than providing value. It's just, I I don't have to
1: do a good job today. I love that. Now, I I just want to ask one more question because we talked about, I love what you said, avoid taking credit when things go well. Your colleague, focus on those parts that are going really well. How do you get your clients to give that feedback about things that are going well, right? You've got that evaluation process where you ask those two questions. Is there anything else that you do with your clients to get that feedback? Because we want to have that social proof. We want to have that evidence. We need to have that feedback. Is there anything Mm -hmm. else that you do that is done in a healthy, productive, supportive way?
0: Yeah. So there's a tool I created that I use with every client. I call it a traction report. And 24 hours before our session, a client will go in and fill in their traction report. And it's just a really great way for them to get centered. And also for me to get updated so that we can dive right into coaching and we don't have to spend a lot of time catching me up on their progress. But one of the questions, it's actually the first question in the traction report. A thing that I say to Hive members all the time is you cannot build on success you don't acknowledge. Mm.
2: So my clients
0: in their traction report have to fill in the new and good section. What's new? What's going well? What do you want to celebrate? And I'll notice if they're only ever posting um, progress related to our work together. So I'm a business coach, right? So if it's only ever progress in their business, I will highlight that and invite them to include progress in their personal life or in their marriage or wherever else in their life that's related or relevant for them. So we start every conversation acknowledging a success so that we can build on it. They fill it into the traction report, and then I'll pick one or two things that I'll ask them about when we begin our coaching conversations. Now, you asked about collecting testimonials. The best, for me, the best way to get valuable testimonials is actually to write them myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let's pretend we, and you're new and good on your traction report, you surpassed your launch goal, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about it at the beginning of our coaching session. And then I will draft a very quick testimonial and email that to you saying, I'd love to highlight your success in my marketing to make it easy for you. I've crafted a testimonial. If you're comfortable with it, take a look, make any edits that you want, and then give me the green light. So I find collecting testimonials in real time is another way to help the client feel celebrated but also to ensure that I'm getting the best possible testimonials because the details aren't floating away on me because I capture them in real time.
1: Oh my gosh, we have talked about so much today. I just want to do a summary of everything that we've covered. Sure. We went through signs where we are taking over responsibility with our clients, where we're thinking our worth is tied to them making progress or getting results. And I love Dallas when you said, we're trying to prove our worth versus providing value and being centered on ourselves when we're proving our worth versus centering on the client when we're providing value. And that really is the magic piece right there. Mm -hmm. Anytime that we can stay centered on the client, we are providing value. We may not know what it looks like or sounds like, but we are providing value. The moment that we are focused on ourselves, we're proving our worth. We talked about how to shift that mindset, how to have awareness. And you gave us the question, that beautiful question, who is this for? Whatever it is that we're doing or, or encountering. Is it serving me? Is it serving them? And being able to answer that. And then you gave us that beautiful evaluation process that you do with your clients regularly and had those two questions on that scale from one to 10. How much value are you getting out of coaching? And then asking how much effort on a scale of one to 10 are you putting into coaching? And then that last question, what would have to change to move your effort to a 10 and really creating the space for there to be an incredible coaching conversation and dialogue to help them take more responsibility, show up even better in their own lives and inside the coaching relationship and get even more out of coaching. You gave us several tools to use to help us stay grounded in the providing value. I love the mantra that you said before every coaching session. I would put it on a post-it note and stick it next to my computer because I do them all on Zoom. Mm -hmm. I release my need to do a good job. I love, it's just to take a big, deep breath in, big, deep breath out. Now let's get on the call. And you talked to us about how to stay grounded and develop this skill, especially as newer coaches are really learning how to stay in that providing value area. We even got into testimonials. I had no idea we would go there. That was so fun. We covered so much on the conversation today. Do you have any other parting words that you want to share with our listeners? You're doing great. I
0: think as coaches, what matters is that we are striving and that's what our clients appreciate most is that we're really striving to center them. I think it's just also important to remind ourselves that we're doing this work to help others have more meaning in their own lives. And that is not a straight line. It's about normalizing the roller coaster, right? And that's normalizing the roller coaster for our clients, but also
1: normalizing the roller coaster
0: for us. That's really what
1: growing looks like. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Dallas for this incredible conversation. You can find out more about her at dallastravers.com. That's t r a v e r s. T-R-A-V-E-R-S.com. And in the show notes, you'll find a resource for the powerful coaching questions exploring the value of your coaching. Dallas, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror FM Podcast Network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Making It. Cynthia Lamb produced this episode. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people.
2: Miracy. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy, folk, or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth, and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible and it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before it's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful really brand new and really beautiful and then we can Walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out, and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.